Well, I invite you to grab your Bible and open it back up to the book of First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 7 is where we are going to pick it up in our study of this book today. And a few weeks ago we introduced this idea of the church being a family. And we had a great time at our first event, Fall Fest. And we even took a week to talk about the role of uh, dad and mom and kids in a family. And we want to pick up that theme here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. And if you pay attention to the news, and I'm not saying that you should, but if you do, maybe that you heard about the Obama mama drama. Did you guys hear about this? Uh, he gave a speech on the same day we had our event, Fall Fest, where coming together as a church family. Our president gave a speech in which he said something that a lot of people took like he was slamming stay-at-home moms. Here's the quote of what the president said. He said, And too often, parents have no choice but to put their kids in cheaper daycare. And sometimes there may just not be any slots or programs maybe too far away. And sometimes someone, usually mom, leaves the workplace to stay home with the kids which then leaves her earning a lower wage for the rest of her life as a result, and that's not a choice we want Americans to make. And so some people really got offended by that because they felt like the president was saying that to choose to be a stay-at-home mom is an un-American choice, uh, which in the context of the speech, you know, uh, for some reason conservatives are always looking at a reason to uh, give the president a hard time. If you look at the speech, that's not what he is actually saying. He's talking about women equality in the workplace, and uh, clearly uh, whether a mom should work or stay at home, that's a very complicated issue. We have moms who stay at home here, and we have moms who work here. Um, but the main point he's actually making is about daycare. Here's what he says. He says, so let's make this happen. By the end of this decade, let's enroll 6 million children in high-quality preschool, and let's make sure that we are making America stronger. That is good for families. It is also good for the children because we know investing in high quality, early childhood education makes all the difference in the world and those kids will do better. Let me ask you guys a question here this morning. What do you think is going to be better for a kid? Daycare or mom care? What do you guys think? We're all in agreement, okay? Now, now sometimes kids might have to go to daycare and we want it to be a high quality daycare. I think we can all agree. I get the idea of what he's saying here. But daycare is never going to be mom care. And I need everybody to see that, okay? Daycare, let's say we've got the best possible daycare that we could ever have. We actually have some people here at our church who work full-time daycare, and I have no doubt they're providing an excellent service, right? They're taking care of the kids. They're keeping them productive. They're giving them snacks. Here's how every daycare everywhere in America works, right? Five o'clock comes, six o'clock comes, and what does the person who works full-time daycare do? Go home, right? And do they take the kids with them? No, where do the kids go? Mom, see, because they're mom's kids. Number one knee band-aid maker, right? Number one thermometer uh, temperature taker, right? Number one person you want to kiss your boo-boo. Number one person you want to tuck you in at night. Number one person that you know will nourish you and cherish you like nobody else is who? Mom. Now, it's very important that we see the difference between daycare and mom care because that's what our passage is about. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, 8, and 9. Follow along with me as I read our text for this morning. It says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own 
children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. It says, here's here's an analogy that Paul's going to use for how he cared for uh, the people of this church, the Thessalonians that we've been studying. He says, I cared for you like a mom taking care of her own children. I wasn't babysitting. I wasn't just kind of taking care of you for a while and then ready to hand you off to somebody else. No, I acted like you were my kids and I gave you that level of love and care. Now, in the context here, uh, I mean, they would have had, it would have been common in this city of Thessalonica for moms to hire someone else, a nurse or a nanny, okay, uh, to literally nurse their babies along. It would have been maybe rare among the richer people in Thessalonica for a mom to nurse her own child. That wasn't really how they were doing it at this time. So he's saying, I loved you, and the word here really means I nourished you, I cherished you like only one person can do. I cared for you like mom does. That was how I thought about it. And it's important, if we're going to think about caring for one another here at church, it's important that we ask, what kind of ministry are we going to do here at Compass Bible Church, Huntington Beach? As we get started, as we start getting to know each other, as we start reaching out and starting hopefully to love one another and to minister one another, are we going to do daycare here at this church or are we going to do mom care? Because daycare means I care about you and I'm ready to care about you for a few hours a week. I'm ready to care about you, and and I'm ready even kind of to care about you because I think by caring about you, I'm going to get something out of it too. It'll be service for me. Maybe it'll make me look important. Maybe all of a sudden other people will think, well, look at so-and-so. They're really spiritual because look at how they can do that, that small group, or look at how they really serve. Maybe my service for you isn't really about you. Maybe it's actually kind of because I need a job and so I'm doing daycare or I'm doing babysitting. No, we want mom care here at this church. We want it to genuinely be. Why does mom be mom? What is mom getting out of being mom? She's doing a lot of work. Can I get an amen from anybody on that one right now? Okay. I mean, mom is working hard. Okay. I mean, later it's going to go on and it's going to talk about night and day. Uh, We worked night and day. Day. I was talking to one of the brand new moms, first time mom here at our church. We had the privilege of taking her dinner, and she was telling me about a story that happened right here at church where she was carrying her little baby around, and somebody came up to her, and they said something you got to be careful about saying here at church. They said, oh, look at how cute your baby is. Don't you just love how they sleep all day at that age, right? This baby doesn't sleep. This baby's like nocturnal, you know what I mean? And mom just kind of made that face like, What are you talking about? This baby sleeps. I'm up all night, every night with this mom, right? What's mom getting for staying up all night? Is mom getting overtime for staying all night, up all night with the baby, right? Is there some kind of bonus for mom in this? Why does mom do whatever it takes for her baby? Because she loves her baby. Because she loves her baby 
more than herself. Do you care about people here at this church like that? I'm not talking about your physical family. I'm talking about your church family. Could we say what Paul says boldly here, that I nourished you and I cherished you and I loved you, expecting nothing in return like a mom who stays up all night with her own child? And, he, and he's going to move beyond the analogy. Look at verse 8. He's going to get into very clear language here. He's going to say, so being affectionately desirous of you. I mean, that's the only time that phrase is used in the entire New Testament. It just means a longing. It just means I have a passion for you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very selves, our souls, because you had become very dear to us. I mean, you could write next to very dear to us because you had become beloved to us is literally what it means there because we loved you I mean I had a passion for you I had a desire for you because I came to love you and I didn't just love you part-time I went all the way in loving you I, I, I was there I'm ready to compare you to a mom loving her own kids I mean that's one of the most intimate relationships we can know as humans and Paul wants to use that analogy to describe the relationships we're supposed to have with one another here at this church. So when we think about ministry, we think about maybe some people, they got here early and they set up the chairs. Some people, they're off with the kids right now helping them. Some people, they're going to run small groups at their house. When you're doing ministry here at this church, and hopefully everybody's going to be a part of the family and find some way to serve here. When you're doing ministry here, you're going to have to ask yourself, does that mean I really love the people? Is that why I'm doing it? Point number one, let's put it down like this. Ministry means personal relationships. Ministry means personal relationships. This isn't, I know we're Compass Bible Church. But I'm not just here to preach to you the Bible so, and not care about you. I'm not here so we can do some kind of transaction Well, I give you the truth and then you're on your own out there to figure it out. That's not what we mean by ministry here at this church. We're not just doing acts of service. We're not just communicating the truth of God's word in our sermons or in our small groups. No, the reason we are here is for a very clear purpose. We're here for each other. That's the reason that we're here. I'm here for you, and you're hopefully here for other people in this room because you love them. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 23, and we got to go after ourselves here because, because here at our church, we're committed to teaching everything that the Bible says, and hopefully you're interested in that. Hopefully you didn't come here because you wanted me to, well, to give you some nice message that, that's going to make you feel good, but really I'm going to leave out some of the things that the Bible says. I hope you're here because you want the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us God. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? That's what kind of church we want to be. We we're going we're gonna to cut it straight. If this is what the book says, we're not going to add to it. We're not going to take away from it. We're going to tell you exactly what the book says. So in some people's mind, right away, when I say that, we're going to be one of those fire and brimstone churches. See, I had somebody say this to me yesterday. Like, uh, I stopped going to church a long time ago. I was inviting them to our church. They said, I stopped going to church a long time ago. I said, really, why would you stop? They said, because of the fire and the brimstone. And they said, I didn't like that stuff. Well, that stuff's in the Bible. We're not making that stuff up. If we get to a fire and brimstone message, we're going to give you a, a fire and brimstone sermon. That's the way it's going to be. But see, here, we're going to do it with a smile. See, That's the difference here at Compass Bible Church. Yeah, We're going to do it because we care about you. Because we don't want you 
or your, your soul or anybody else's soul that you know to ever experience fire and brimstone. We're not going to come down on you. We're going to come out for you, and we're going to tell you what the Bible says. See? That's how Jesus Christ could throw down fire and brimstone. Okay? Jesus Christ, he could tell you how it really was. And no chapter maybe does that better than Matthew chapter 23. Look at the heading here of Matthew chapter 23. It says, seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees. What was Jesus' relationship like with the scribes and Pharisees? Were they singing kumbaya together? Were they, were they all coexisting? Did, were they, were they, were they, did they have those bumper stickers, Jesus and the scribes and Pharisees? No, he said some heated things to these guys. He let them have it. In fact, he gives them seven woes in this chapter. What does woe mean in the scripture? You want the full truth and nothing but the truth? Woe means be damned. That's basically the idea here in this. I mean, he's saying you are going to be judged because of the way that you are living. This is an intense chapter. And then after seven woes, for 36 verses, look at verse 37. Here's how Jesus ends seven woes against his enemies, the false religious leaders of the day. This is what he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen, gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Why am I telling you the truth? Why am I confronting you with maybe the judgment that is in your future and warning you to flee from it? Because I want to gather you like a mother hen gathers her little chickadees and bring you into my arms. Here's Jesus using this same mother analogy, even an animal analogy that Paul uses. If we're going to tell somebody the truth about the state of their soul, you cannot tell somebody the truth if you do not care, if you do not love them. There's a statement that is not in the Bible, but I have found it to really help me as I think about telling people the Bible. And the statement is, they don't care what you know until they know that you care. And I wonder how many times people like us who have the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help us God, completely blow it. Because the way that we say it to people does not communicate a motherly love and concern for their soul. This is a big rebuke for people like us, the Bible thumpers, right? If you're all about the Bible, you got to make sure that your heart behind telling people the truth, even about things like judgment and, and hell, is that you really care for their soul. Sometimes I think we do it because we're right. Sometimes I think we do it because we want people to know how much we know, not to know how much we care. And I think that's something some of us need to check our hearts. You're doing ministry, praise the Lord. Are you doing it for you? Or are you doing it for the people that you're ministering to? What's really your motivation in doing ministry? Does it mean a personal relationship? Or is it about you having people think, well, they're godly and they're spiritual. And I don't want any of that attitude in myself as the pastor. I don't want any of that attitude in anybody serving. We would rather have you not serve at this church than to do it in an unloving, look at me, I know a lot about the Bible kind of a way. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? Are we together on this? Okay. We're not the Bible-thumping church. If they're going to call us the Bible-thumping church, then we better be smiling. And they better know 
that we care, and that's why it's very helpful when you can hand people free ice cream, then you can basically talk about anything after that. That's why we've got an ice cream truck, okay? Now, go with me to the book of Numbers, okay? Let's get into the Bible. We love the Bible, but we want to serve it with a smile. We want to do it out of love for people. Now, let's see what Moses says here in Numbers chapter 11, and he's going to use this same mother nourishing, cherishing analogy, but he's going to use it here all the way back in the book of Numbers. He's going to kind of use it in, in, in a negative sense and, and as something that cannot even be done. Pick it up with me here in Numbers chapter 11, verse 10, where the people of Israel complain. The people of Israel complain. Now, let me just ask the moms, is complaining something that you ever have to deal with as a mother? Can you ever relate to this, right? And so the people of Israel, man, they were good at complaining. God had just freed them from slavery in Egypt. And this awesome deliverance. And they're complaining because we don't have any food and we don't have any water. And are we there yet? That's the kind of complaining that they're doing. And doesn't, God's not happy. And Moses here is not happy. Numbers 11, verse 10. Follow along. It says, Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans. Everyone at the door of his tent and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly. God is upset with the complaining of the people. And Moses was displeased. And Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? Here's, God, here's Moses telling God how he really feels. Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Oh, that's pretty graphic analogy. Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. Even rhymes. I am not able to carry all this people alone. This burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once if I find favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. What is Moses saying? He's saying maybe what you're feeling right now at the beginning of this sermon, this is too much. These people, there's so many people, the Israelites, Moses is so grossly outnumbered, and they're complaining, and he's saying, I'm going to carry these people, and I'm going to lead them with love like a mother carries her nursing child. I can't do it. That's too much. It's too hard for me as Moses to really love all the people of Israel in this way. There's too many of them. The burden is too great. God, if that's what really what you want me to do, end me now. Maybe that's, maybe that's how you're feeling if I say, I want you to really love people here at this church, people you barely know right now. I want you to love them like a mom loves her own child. If you think about that, that's a big ask that we're making here this morning. That's going to be tough. And, and, and for me as the pastor, man, I want to care about people, but we're a small church. We're just getting started. But still, how can I care for everybody even here in this room? It can be overwhelming. And look what God says here to Moses. Look at verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. 
and I will come down, and I'll talk with you there, and I'll take some of the spirit that is on you, and I'll put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And he goes on to explain how that's going to work. So what does God say when Moses says, okay, I know you want me to lead these people, and I know you want me to do it in love, but it's just so hard to love all these people. There's too many. How could I lead them like that? God doesn't say, just suck it up and do it. God says, here's a plan. We're going to give you 70 more people to help you. That's God's plan. The plan is not that one man would be caring for everybody. The plan is we're going to kind of get that responsibility out amongst all of the people and we're all going to care for each other. Specifically, we're going to break Israel into 70 different small groups and those small group leaders are going to help you care for and lead these people. Now, I want you to know that is the vision right here. Uh, This is a good picture of the vision for our church. As soon as I heard that we were going to start this church, Compass Bible Church Huntington Beach, I knew right away I needed some other people to help me bear the burden. Because I do take very seriously bearing the burden of overseeing people's souls and caring for people's souls. If you are in the hospital, I will be in the hospital. That's how it works here at Compass Bible Church. If you are in jail, it will depend why you went to jail, whether or not I come and visit you. If you did a crime against the law, I will come and I will ask you to repent of your sin and I will visit you. If you are thrown in jail for representing Jesus Christ, I'm going to leave you there to do the Lord's work. And I'm going to actually be bummed that you got tossed there before me because I want to come and go to jail with you if that's what we're doing for Jesus Christ. But if you have something going on in your life, you have a baby, I want to bring you a meal. You're sick, I want to come visit you. And I will try to do that, but I can't do that by myself. I can't love everybody here like a mom loves her child. It's too big a burden for me. And so immediately, I started getting a team together of people who could help me bear this burden. And we started with, we're using some biblical numbers here, we started with 12 couples that we we trained to help us bear this burden. And here's the vision. What do we want to see God do here at Compass Bible Church Huntington Beach? I want to go from 12 couples who have partnered with me in bearing the burden of our church, and I want to take that to 70 couples who have been trained to lead small groups. That's the vision of our church right there, okay? We've got 12 couples right now that we have trained to lead small groups. We want to bump that up to 70 couples. Would that not be awesome if we had 70 small groups where people could show up and we could, we could care for them in intimate small group settings? So we've got 12 small groups, 12 small group leaders already trained. We're already starting to add more. Some of you might be the future small group leaders of this church. That might be something God raises you up to help us do. Some of you guys might just be going to those home fellowship groups and really participating and really expressing care without being the leader. But we want to take this burden of, look at all the souls even here today, this morning, as we're just getting started. we got to spread this burden. This burden is on all of us to care for one another here at this church. And one thing that's even exciting that I'd like to share with you is we have already had one small group come together that was meeting on Wednesday nights, and it got so full, we already, this is our 11th week of church, we've already had to double up one of our groups and split it into two groups because it was already so full of people that nobody else could come to it. So that's pretty exciting to me to see that this is happening. 
And, and to see that, that group, even people said to me, already within 10 weeks of church, people were saying, this group feels like a family. This is the closest I've been to people at church. That's what we're going for here, see? We want that. We want it to feel like this church is your mom and nourishes you and cherishes you. Like you would have no doubt that the people here care not just for your physical life, but your spiritual life, okay? And that's something I want to set the tone for that as the pastor, but there's no way I can do that without your help. So we all need to bear this burden together. Turn with me to 1 Peter 5. Let's just make it clear, once again, what I'm committing to doing, what you can hold me accountable to doing as the pastor. And it uses a little bit of a different analogy here in 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, but it, it has the same idea of care. I don't want to compare being a shepherd to being a mom, because obviously they're radically different. But the idea of being a shepherd, though, does involve this watching out for each individual sheep and caring after it. And that's the analogy that it gives for what I'm supposed to be doing as a pastor. Now, there's lots of words we could use to describe a pastor. Elder, overseer, bishop. Bishop Bobby works if you want to keep it with the bees. Some people like to call me Shepherd Robert every once in a while. I'll get that. Pastor Bobby works fine. Bobby works fine. You can call me whatever you want. Uh, but look at 1 Peter chapter 5. Here's what it says I'm supposed to be doing. This is my job description. You guys can all hold me to it. It says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd, pastor, the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, leadership, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So there's three ways, if we could just break those down, three ways that the, I as the pastor and everybody, if you're going to help me bear this burden of caring for people at our church, here's ways it says, don't do it like this, but do it like this. And again, as we go through these, you'll see the difference between daycare and mom care. First thing it says, you could write all three of these down under point one. It says not uh, under compulsion, okay? Not because you're forced to, okay? But because you want to, okay? So here's the deal. We want everybody here at this church to eventually find a place to serve here at this church. But we don't want anybody at this church to serve because you feel like you have to serve, because you're obligated to serve. If you don't want to serve, then you don't have to serve here at this church, okay? We want people to I didn't come here because somebody told me to come here and start this church. I came here because I was delighted to come here and start this church. Some of you, that's why you're here. We want to do this, okay? Now, sometimes I would imagine if you're daycare and kids are throwing a tantrum and kids are pooping up diapers, I would imagine you're feeling a little bit like you have to do these things. Maybe some of you, if we're going to get real, as a mom, sometimes even feel like you have to do these things. But overall, as a mom, you do that because that's your child and you want to do these things. So there's one way. When we serve here, do you feel like you're serving because you have to or do you feel like you're serving because you want to. Then it says this, not for shameful gain. You could just write down, not dollar bill sign, not for money, okay? 
I, I didn't come here to, to get rich. I'm not in this for the money. That, that you can see here is the difference between daycare. Why am I taking care of your kid if I work at daycare? Because I'm getting a paycheck. Is mom getting a paycheck for taking care of the kid? No, mom is shelling out money to take care of the kid, right? So, yeah, we're not trying to get something out of it financially, okay? Then it says here, third one, we're not tr- domineering. We're not trying to be the boss. If we want to put that down. We're not, I'm not here to boss people around, okay? I'm here to be an example. I'm here to say, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm not going to try to have a heavy hand and tell you what to do. I'm not trying to be a boss. And when you see mom with her kid, I mean, sometimes mom gets tough. But I don't think there's anything more precious than when a mom thinks that she's alone with her baby, but you can hear what's going on. These are some of my favorite memories that I will keep with me, is when mom is telling that little baby, she gets her mom, little cute baby voice going, you know, you're so gorgeous, you're so cute. Like, mom doesn't talk about that like that when other people are around. I just want to eat you up right now. <laughs> Baby's giggling, right? The intimate moment between mom, and is mom lording it over baby? Mom is just eagerly loving baby. See? That's how we're supposed to be doing this. Uh, we're supposed to be here because we want to be here, not because we want people to look at us, but because we genuinely want to turn our focus on other people and care for them. That's hopefully the way this church is going to be, Lord willing. That's the way I'm going to try to be as the pastor. Hopefully you can help me bear that burden. And the reason we should be like this here at our church is because this is the way that God is to us. Look at First Peter chapter 5, verse 4. It goes on and it says, and when the chief shepherd, so now we're talking about someone who's over the pastor, who's that? Well, that's Jesus Christ. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. See, this shepherding analogy of maybe a way that we would care for one another, the way as I as the pastor want to care for you, well, that's just a reflection of the way that God cares for us. Turn with me to John chapter 10, and let's let the chief shepherd, the, the good shepherd, he refers to himself here in John chapter 10. Let's let him speak for himself. Here is the ultimate example for all of us. If we're going to do ministry here at this church together, the example we want to follow is our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's how he cared for his people. He refers to himself as the good shepherd. John 10 verse 11, he says it like this, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then he immediately draws that distinction that we've already tried to make. Verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand. And look, here's the key. He cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd, Jesus says, drawing a distinction. I know my own, and my own know me. See, here's mom care and daycare all over again. When it, when it gets tough, when, I, when it, I'm not really benefiting, when I'm not getting what I want to get out of it, if I'm approaching ministry like a hired hand, what do I do? I go because that, this isn't benefiting me anymore. So I'm going to go now where, where what is going to be better for me. But if they're really your sheep, see, if the people here at this church are really your people. If this is really your church, see, then you'll lay down your life for the other people here. Even if it's going to cost you, you're willing to pay. Why? Because these are your people. 
Is that how you're willing to think about the brothers and sisters that God's going to bring together to be a spiritual family here at Compass Bible Church? Are they going to be some people out there? Are they going to be Pastor Bobby's people? Are they going to be God's people? Or are they going to be your people? Because when it stops feeling fun or benefiting you, you're going to run if you're a hired hand. I'm glad that when Jesus Christ was getting beaten, he didn't run. I'm glad that when Jesus Christ was getting yelled at and mocked and people were saying, get down from there and save yourself. Hey, you saved others. Why don't you save yourself? I'm glad that Jesus Christ stayed up on there on that cross. I'm glad that when Jesus was feeling not just the physical pain of being on the cross, but when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When the Father turned his back on the Son for the first time in all of eternity, there was a separation between God and heaven who was now throwing his wrath and judgment on Jesus Christ on that cross for my sin. I'm glad Jesus wasn't a hired hand. I'm glad Jesus didn't do daycare on the day he died on the cross. I'm glad that he did mom care because he loved us as his own. And I know we're in a room that we've never been in before with a bunch of people that you don't know. But did you walk in here to say, these are my people? That's what it means to do church. That you would treat them as your own. You know, moms don't get to pick their kids. But they love them. Like they got to pick them, don't they? That's how we're supposed to love each other here at this church. And we've gotten this idea in our mind in America, in the consumer culture, in the church shopping Christianity that we're familiar with, that I'm going to jump around from church to church until I find the best fit for who at the end of that. It's not how the Bible works. I'm going to come to this church so that it could be the best fit for other people. And I'm going to treat them like they're my people. That's the example that we have of Jesus Christ. That's the way I'm supposed to be as the pastor. And I'm asking you today as our church to help me bear this burden of caring for people like a mom cares for her child. I hope you will embrace this with all of your heart. Now go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and look at this with me. Because the passage gets into some specific practical applications that I want you to think through. Hopefully we've got the hard idea. We want to love like a mom loves her kid. Well, let's look again at verse 8. It says, so being affectionately desirous of you, longing for you, having a passion for you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God. And if you were here last week, did we talk about sharing the gospel of God in our boldness sermon if you were here? We said we got to speak the gospel boldly, freely, like that should be rolling out of, our, out of our mouths all the time, telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. But here, this is a great follow-up to that sermon. You got boldness, great, but here it says, don't only share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us, because you had become beloved to us, is what it says. So I'm not just here, it's not like I'm just giving you the gospel and then you can decide what you want to do with it. This isn't drive-by evangelism here where it's just like, hey, do you want to get saved? Okay, you let me know later and then I'll decide if I'm going to work with you. No, when I tell you the gospel, here's what I offer along with that. I offer, it says, our own selves. 
A better translation would literally be, I offer you my own soul. That's the word. It's the word, Greek word, suke. We usually would translate that word soul. So when I tell you about Jesus Christ, I don't just give you some information and you can figure out what to do with it. I'm offering you my life. I'm offering you my soul. I'm offering you a new relationship. That's what I'm offering you. A family kind of relationship. I just met you. I don't know you. Next thing you know, we're talking about Jesus. You're expressing interest. You're not expressing interest. What I'm saying to you is, here's my soul. Point number two, share your soul. That's what we're here to do. I mean, you could put, not just don't just share the gospel, but share your soul. But the main thing that we're here to do is share our innermost being, the eternal part of us. We're here to share that with the other people here at this church. Now, this is way too intimate and emotional for Orange County. Can you even believe we're talking like this right now? We can't even say hi to people these days in Orange County, right? I mean, we're drive-through conversations. You probably have more drive-through conversations in any given day than real heart-to-heart soul-sharing conversations, right? I mean, we, we, myself, when I go to Chick-fil-A, right, and I drive through or I go in there, I can't do it today, but any other day of the week I go to Chick-fil-A. And I go in there, you know, I have to work on thinking that this person isn't just some vending machine, machine cranking out nuggets, fries, and a drink with that ice that I like. That's, I mean, this person is a person. And they have a name tag, I notice, about these people. And I try to refer to them as their name. I try to think of them as a soul. You, so many times, it's like, why did they mess up my order? And it's like we're upset, like we're treating them like an inanimate object. That's how we treat people in America. That's how we are here in Orange County. I mean, we don't even, we, I think of you as a business transaction when I'm buying something from you at the store. I don't even treat you like a human being, Right? I expect to get in my car, drive to a place, get the stuff I want. I'm not thinking I'm going to talk to somebody. I'm not thinking, is Thelma going to be at Walmart today? Am I going to see her? I wonder if she'll be there in aisle 11 so we can talk again. We don't think like that, right? We're not even treating people like people. And now I'm saying we not even, we, we not even here at church like acknowledge each other's physical presence, say hi to each other, okay? Usually that's what settles for, like, intimacy at church. Like, when I go to the store, nobody talks to me. At church, they say hi. They're so godly over there at that church. I mean, literally, that's where our standards are at, right? Now, since we started this church, I've been trying to do a couple of things. I've been trying to get meals with people, and I've been trying to have some people, and I've invited some people from this church over to my house and said, hey, come hang out with me and my family. Let's get to know each other. Okay, and so if we haven't had a meal or you haven't been over to my house yet, you're on the list, all right? I'm coming after you. And here's what I hear 50% of the time, okay? 50% of the time. This is what people say. Never had lunch with a pastor before. 50% of the time. Here's what people say when they come over to my house. Never been to the pastor's house before. That sound like we're loving people like their mom? You see how low our standards has fallen. For what church is. People say hi to me. Pastor preaches at me. We don't even know each other. We want to be a soul sharing church. If you're going to be a part of this church, we are going to encourage you towards a greater level of intimacy, emotion, openness, vulnerability. Am I making anyone feel uncomfortable right now? 
than is currently accepted in our American culture because we want to get to who people really are in their innermost being. And I want you to know who I am. I want to know who you are. And I want us to love each other, kind of like a family. When we're in our house and the doors are closed and we think the world's out there and we let our mask off and we let our hair down and we kind of just who we really are. That's how we want to be here at this church. See, I didn't come here to be fake. I didn't come here to try to impress people with my spiritual face that I put on on Sundays while I yell at my kids on the drive home from church. Came here to be who God has made me to be, and I hope that's why you're here. And I hope we can share our souls with one another. This is going to have to get beyond what feels comfortable. It's going to have to be like I'm really letting you know who I am. I'm putting myself out there. That's what this is going to feel like. Go to Second Corinthians. Join me to Second Corinthians chapter two. And here's another way that Paul says it here in Second Corinthians chapter 2. I love this way that he says it. Maybe this will inspire you. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verse uh, 14. Sorry, sorry, not chapter 2. Let's go to chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. That is a mistake there. If you wrote that in your notes, that is a typo. Sorry about that. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now look at it with me. Verse 14, it says this. Here for the third time, I am ready to come to you. And I will not be a burden. For I seek not what is yours, but you. That's great. And here's our analogy. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents are obligated to save up for their children. Verse 15. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Man, there's a phrase that if everybody, if you're taking notes, if you could write that down, if you could highlight that in your Bible, man, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. When it feels at this church like I am giving myself away, like this is costing me, like this is hard, like I'm really putting myself out there for these other people, that's when you know you're doing what you're supposed to be doing here at this church, okay? That's when you know, when it feels like you're up late at night with the baby that won't sleep, that keeps crying, that's when you know as a mom, you're all in. You love this kid, right? When he says, when I'm, I'm glad to spend myself. I'm glad to give my life away. Why? For you, he says. So let's get a couple of practical things here. You got a couple of little dashes under point number two. Here, now, we're saying we got to share our soul. Well, let me just step on your toes even a little bit more here, if I can, with the authority of the Word of God, okay? What it's saying here is spend the extra dollar. That's your first dash there. Spend the extra dollar is what it's saying. I mean, literally here, he's talking about financial resources. I mean, that's the context here. You can't deny it. And he says in our passage, you can see it there on the side of your notes in verse 9. He says, you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. What is he talking about? He's talking about a financial burden. Okay? 
And he's trying to say that we worked night and day. As in, I taught you the Bible. I shared, I mean, here's what Paul was doing when he came to Thessalonica. I shared with you the gospel. I shared with you my soul. Then I went and I worked another job to pay for everything. So nobody there in Thessalonica had to give me money. I mean, this is a crazy amount of work that Paul is willing to do for these churches when he plans it. As I was telling you the gospel, I didn't want you to also have to support me financially, so I was bivocational. I was starting the new church, and I was over here. We know Paul was a very skilled tent maker, and, and he was very crafty in that way, and that provided a financial income for him. And so he is saying that he is willing to do extra work. He had a day shift being the pastor, I guess, and he had a night job where he was also making tents to pay for what he was doing there in Thessalonica so they didn't have to pay him. He was ready to suffer financially for the people there at the church. He didn't want to be a burden to anybody. Okay. Now, when we planted this church, we made a decision that I would not be a bivocational pastor. So if you guys are upset about that, if anybody wants me to take the night shift at Vaughn's and, and, and contribute, I'm happy to have that discussion with you. But our board of pastors that plant, planted us from Compass Bible Church, Aliso Viejo, they said, we want to support you. We want your church to eventually support you so you can devote yourself full time to the ministry. So I am not a bivocational church planter. I want to see this thing grow. I want to see God save people. I want to give my full time to this, okay? And you could write down 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, where it says in the scripture very clearly that the pastor, especially the guy who preaches and teaches, he's worthy of double honor. It is right that if somebody shares with you the gospel, it is right that they could make their living from that. So hopefully everybody here is tracking with that basic idea that when we give financially to the church, one thing we're doing is we're supporting the pastor so he can focus full time uh, on the ministry. And I just want you to think, if I was working the night shift at Vaughn's, right, and then I find out that somebody just went to the ER from our church, well, I can't leave my night shift at Vaughn's to go and show them care. Everybody tracking with me on what I'm saying here? So if you are giving financially to this church, what you are in a sense doing is freeing me up so I don't have to work night and day so I can go express more care to the people here at this church. Okay. Also, another thing that you might not be aware of is if you decide to financially give to this church, we will use that money that you give to help other people at this church when they have financial issues in their life. So sometimes maybe you have a friend, a family member, you see that they're hurting financially, something has happened in their life, they've lost a job, some medical crisis. Maybe you have decided in your heart that because you love that person, you're willing to take your money and give it to them. You don't even want anything back. You're just going to give them money to help them in their time of need. I would think that's a great thing to do for your family members. I would think that's definitely what mom's doing for her baby, right? Has mom ever said to her kid, oh, you've just cost too much this month, you know? You're just going to have to keep wearing that dirty diaper, right? No, mom is always ready to spend the extra dollar for her baby. And here Paul is saying, hey, one of the ways I'm going to share my soul with you is I'm going to work the night shift to help provide financially. When we talk about church, this is the first time we've ever really brought this up in a sermon here at our church. But our text, when he says, I don't want to be a burden to you, he's talking about a financial burden. So here we are at church talking about your, your finances. 
And I'm, I hope we've made it clear, we've set a tone at this church that we will continue to set that we are not interested in your money, we are interested in your soul here at this church, okay? But if we want to care for people, money is going to be a part of that. And if you really want to care for the other people at this church, if you want it to help me maximize my care for the other people, giving financially will be a way that we can take care of one another, a practical way that we can do it. Um, now, look at, look, go back to 1 Thessalonians 2, and, and let's look at another thing that he's doing. Because basically, um, not only is this getting into finances, when he says he doesn't want to be a burden, but let's just think about this another way. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verse 9. It says, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. And both of those words immediately bring up the idea of hard work. We're putting some sweat equity into what's going on here. That's the idea. This is not easy stuff. And he says, we worked night and day. Now, he goes on to talk about the financial aspect of that. But night and day also has a time aspect, doesn't it there? That Paul, when he came to plant this church in Thessalonica, there was no time that was me time for Paul. Okay? There was no time that was reserved for him, that was kind of off limits. Like, okay, how many hours am I going to give to the church? I'm willing to give the church this many hours on Sunday morning and this many hours maybe at something else during the week. But the rest of the schedule is my schedule, and I'm going to decide what to do with it. And something that's really important to people in America is that at the end of the day, we have our time. I mean, I might be willing to work hard during the day, but nighttime for people is often me time, it's free time, it's lazy boy recliner chair time, it's TiVo time. For me, it was Bobby time. I mean, that's a way that I've thought in my life. Like, hey, I'm ready to help anybody as long as I have a little bit of time at the end of the day where I can relax and do what I want to do, then I'm ready to help anybody else as long as it doesn't encroach into my time. But he's saying I'm willing to work night and day. I'm willing to stay the extra hour. Let's get that for our second dash there. We should be willing to spend the extra dollar to help the people of our church, to show them love. We should be willing to stay the extra hour. We should be willing, if somebody's having a rough time here, I'm ready to meet with them. I'll meet with them for breakfast. I'll meet with them for dinner. When can I fit it into my schedule? Church doesn't fit into a few hours of my schedule. My whole schedule is ready to be filled with church. That's what Paul's saying here. Man, if somebody here needs help, if I can tell a brother or a sister, let's say we get into these home fellowship groups, we're really trying to love one another, and I realize that somebody in my group is having a hard time, and and my group meets on Wednesday night, am I going to be like, well, I can't help them now because it's not Wednesday night, I'll help them on Wednesday night. Like, nobody would actually say that, but that's the way that we act a lot towards one another. Like, well, I'm not going to address thinking about you, praying for you, trying to get together with you, finding a way to encourage you on the phone or coming by your house with something that could encourage you. I'm not going to do that because right now I'm busy doing other things. What's the number one reason that people don't go to home fellowship groups here at our church or any church anywhere? The number one reason that people can't get more involved in their church is because they are too, see, they don't have time. They don't have time. They're too busy doing other things. Oh, I, you know, you talk about these home fellowship groups and getting to this another, next level of kind of openness and kind of family here at this church and, and love. That all sounds nice, but now I'm asking you to look at your calendar and schedule it in there and make time for it. See, that's tough. That's tough. 
I mean, I literally have not met a person in Orange County who doesn't claim to be busy. Do you know anybody around here who's not busy? Everybody here is busy. If you meet somebody who's not busy, it's because they're a tourist visiting us from somewhere else. I mean, everybody here is busy. That's what it is all the time. And, and this is saying a complete flip of how you think about your schedule. Where you turn it around and you say, I'm willing to go wake up early. I'm willing to stay up late. I'm willing to move other things around so I can get together with the people that I love like a mother own, loves her own kids. Can you imagine mom when the child has scraped their knee? When the child is coming and saying, mom, can you get the thermometer? Because I think I have a temperature. When the child is crying out for their mom because they are sick and feeling like they are going to throw up, can you imagine mom saying to her child, I don't have time for you right now, kid? And yet how often do we say that about each other here at church? Does it work with the analogy that God has given us? I got to be willing to put in time. In fact, i gotta, I got to kind of think of myself. Not only are you guys maybe going to give so I can continue to be full-time here at this church, but you got to even kind of think of yourself as full-time for the church. Now, I know you have a lot of other responsibilities. I know you have work, and I know you have your kids getting to school, and I know you got to have family time, which is extremely important. I know there's a lot of things that you've got to do, but are you ready to move things around for the other people here in this room? If we don't have a group on a night that works for you, are you ready to change your schedule? See, so many people today, it's like, well, when the church changes the schedule for me, then I'll be a part of the church. No, I think we're supposed to be changing our schedule for the other people at our church. Do we have this level of commitment? Is this a high bar that, we're, that the scripture's raising us to here? This is the example of the apostle Paul. And he could say at the end of the day that I love you like a mother cares for her own children. And I hope that that is something that we would be able to say here at this church about one another. That when I came to this church, I didn't just share the gospel. I didn't just do some ministry. I shared my soul with the people here at this church. Uh, let me pray. Let me close this in prayer. God, we thank you so much for this example of the Apostle Paul. And how he did this for the church of Thessalonica. And God, we can clearly see that, that you used that church in a great way. That the word of the Lord sounded forth from that church. That the gospel rang out to so many people. And God, here we see that behind the scenes, the reason the gospel went forth so boldly was because there was such a bold love that Paul had for these people. Such a great example that he gives to us like a mo mother loving her own children. God, I pray that you will convict us here at this church. And you will ask, let every one of us ask ourselves as we leave here today, could I say that I'm loving these people here at this church? Am I even trying to get to know them so that I could love them? For those who are serving, whether it's setting up or having a group at their house or leading a small group here, could they really say they're doing it for the others in their group? not for themselves. 
God, we, we thank you so much that Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. We thank you so much for the love that you have given to us in your son. We thank you that Jesus is in a hired hand, but he is our good shepherd. And he says that we, he knows his sheep and his sheep know him. And he lays down his life for our, us. God, I pray that we would be willing to lay down our lives for one another. That we would show that with our souls, with our finances, with our time. God, make us a church where this is true of us, where we truly love one another as we look at the love that you have given us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.